Welcome to Co-op Energy Talk. This is Rachel Johnson with Cherryland Electric Cooperative, and I'm very excited about our guest today. Eric Baker is the CEO of Wolverine Power Cooperative. They're headquartered in Cadillac, and Wolverine supplies wholesale power to us here at Cherryland and also to four other distribution co-ops in Michigan. In total, the distribution co-ops that Wolverine, the Wolverine family serves serve 268,000 homes and businesses in Michigan, which I think is just an amazing impact and footprint here in Michigan. I'm also joined, as usual, by Tony Anderson, our general manager and trusty leader here at Cherryland. Thank you very much. Of uh, the Wolverine family, Cherryland serves 34,000 of those distribution members right here in the Grand Traverse area. So today, we're going to talk just a little bit about Wolverine, their past, their present, and, and also their future. And Eric, to start us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? How did a young kid from Cadillac come to be the CEO of Wolverine Power Cooperative? Well, thanks, Rachel. It's, uh, I guess, a long string of, of lucky circumstances. Uh, I grew up in Cadillac, uh, went to high school, graduated from Cadillac High School, and then went to Michigan Tech. And I knew I wanted to study some form of engineering. I didn't exactly know what, and Michigan Tech helped me sort that through. And I elected, uh, ultimately, electrical engineering. And there was a new office um, or a new facility in our town called Wolverine Power. And I had no idea what they did, but I said power, and it was in my town. And I called and said, what would you think about having an engineering intern? And they put me in their touch with the right person, and I pitched the idea of an engineering intern, and he happened to be a, a 1950s grad of Michigan Tech himself, and I think he took uh, either pity or favor on me and hired me as an engineering intern after my junior year of college, and I actually interned for the next summer as well and started full-time with Wolverine. I love that. The thing I love about that story is it shows a little bit of initiative can lead to great things. So have hope, all of you young graduates out there. Hope Take initiative, absolutely right. It's probably one of the first internships in Cadillac. Interns are kind of a hot thing now, but probably, not to reveal your age, but probably 20 years ago they were not so hot. Well, uh, Cadillac is actually an interesting economy. Um, it's, uh, it's got a, quite a strong manufacturing base, and there's quite a few professional jobs that sort of fly under the radar screen. And, and so it's... Cadillac's fortunate to have a professional organization like Wolverine in its backyard, and and um, and so um, I'm not sure of that it was the only co-op, but I am. I know it was self-created and very lucky that it, it turned into what it has for me. Well, certainly lucky for us too. Wolverine's on very solid financial ground today. There's a time in Wolverine's history that wasn't always the case. Can you give our listeners some background on how Wolverine was born and those past challenges and how we got to the bright future we're looking at today? Yeah, it, the, I love the co-op story and, and how we electrified rural America quite literally. Almost 75, 80% of the landmass in the country uh, is served by electric cooperatives. Um, and an interesting thing happened in that it was almost too, good of, too much of a good thing. And, and when cooperatives got their start, it's could we just have a light and maybe a light in a barn and then a milker and then a washing machine and it, and it exploded the, the recognition of how wonderful having electric electricity in a rural setting can be. Um, and so the distribution co-ops that started this program started to struggle with keeping up with the demand for power supply, and it was consuming much of their, too much of their time. And so a number of cooperatives in the country, like Cherryland, formed their own specialty cooperative that they owned, 
And in our case, that's Wolverine Power. And so Wolverine Power was created in the late 1940s to specialize in the simple mission of power supply and high voltage transmission to get that power to the rural substations for the distribution co-ops then to provide, a, uh, provide service to their homes. And that was a, a pretty typical growth scenario. In the 1950s, we, we were putting in more and more generation and then challenges started to grow. We, we were growing so fast that we needed additional power supply and rural diesel engine plants were um, not sufficient to supply our, our, inter our, our members' ever-increasing needs. And the next big watershed moment, um, largely because of, of, of um, national uh, policy, Wolverine elected to purchase 20% of Detroit Edison's Fermi II nuclear plant. And that was in 1977. And that project, like about six nuclear plants in the United States that came online after Three Mile Island, quintupled in size and cost. Um, and what Wolverine got into for a $200 million investment rapidly grew to what would have been close to a billion dollar investment. And so from 1977 to effectively 1995, Wolverine had a 20-year history of trying to get itself extracted from the financial extremis caused by that, that decision to be in a nuclear plant. And, and right at the time we were making the first formative steps to get out of that nuclear investment is the time that I came into Wolverine. And really the first 10 to 15 years of my career were all about shedding the financial baggage associated with that decision 30 years prior or 20 years prior. And it took us a long time, almost till 2003. So you think of a, a decision in 1977 took us till 2003 to finally extinguish. Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily that nuclear energy was a bad play. It was just the, the financing of the time and, and the times. It was, uh, it was a combination of, of really bad timing. Uh, all nuclear plants that failed to come online prior to Three Mile Island faced this challenge. The costs, a uh, number of measures had to be, or a number of things had to be rebuilt, um, redesigned, completely torn down and rebuilt. Um, so, you know... It, it, isn't, uh, it isn't what Detroit Edison did, it was, it's what happened in our industry. And, and nuclear power was, was a really promising future at the time. And, and so we just got caught on the wrong side of Three Mile Island. In addition, about that time is when interest rates really took off in the United States. And so in 77 through 79, I think prime rates uh, began to approach 21%, and so lending rates were really, really high. So you're, you're paying debt on a plant that's not operational, and it, was, it just crippled our company. How did we climb out of that hole? Well, you know, I, in the world of um, uh, exercise packages where if you just do this for two minutes a day, it's easy, and suddenly you're fit and trim and you look great on TV, it's really not like that. The... Just like in real exercise plans and health plans, um, our 
our success was based on a number of very unremarkable steps. But what was truly remarkable was the determination and the focus on taking one right move, adding it to another right move, to another right move. And so where we are today is a culmination of a number of events. And really that started when my predecessor, Tom Stevenson, was hired in 1995 to come in and really fix the company at its roots and at its core. And we had to, we had to improve our culture. We had to improve our financial situation. And we had to improve our power supply portfolio. And along the way, we systematically began to rebuild a balance sheet, earn trust of our members, to create an entity that brings value to its members. And now we enjoy tremendous member support and cooperation at a level that, frankly, is, is, was unimaginable to me at the time when I came into the Wolverine family. Eric, what year did you take over as the CEO of Wolverine? Uh, 2006. 2006, okay. And what changes have, do you, kind of what have been your priorities in terms of the, the changes and in initiatives that you're trying to move forward with Wolverine? Really, it hasn't been a significant change from where from the path that, that Tom Stevenson put us on, it's, it's to continue to build financial strength, to continue to think long-term and plan for the future. And so my entire focus for the first eight years, nine years of, of being CEO has been on the strategic issue of power supply. How can we develop a power supply portfolio that accomplishes our, our mission for our members, which is having a diverse set of assets that are environmentally responsible, that can take advantage of our balance sheet to have stable, competitive power costs for our members. That's actually a really awesome mission. We like that, as do our members on the, on the online. Cause, and sometimes I think it's easy to lose sight of this, but the decisions being made at Wolverine have a direct impact on every single member that Cherryland serves. And so when when you are working hard on our behalf, you are working hard on their behalf and, and making these decisions that are protecting their rates going into the future. And it takes some good people to get from a shaky footing to the solid footing of t today. What are some of the characters that come to mind, some of those people uh, that come to mind over your career at Wolverine who helped get us to this good point where we're at today? Well, I'll, I'll, um, I'll point out two in particular that had a remarkable impact on Wolverine. The first I've already mentioned, Tom Stevenson. Um, he was, uh, he was uh, uh, not only uh, an incredible negotiator and a problem solver, uh, I referred to him as the Dragon Slayer. He, he loved ridiculous challenges, and, and he led us through that. But he was also personally for me uh, and, a, and a really important mentor to get me ready to take over um, or to at least position me in, in a way that I might have a chance to be the CEO someday. And he spent a lot of time with me and, and um, so he was an important mentor. Probably the, the, the thing that um, people understand the least is the importance that he had on establishing a, a culture that we could be proud of at Wolverine. He, you know, when I started, it was sort of where, you know, we did our best. Um, we, we had to cut corners because we were under such financial strain. And he said, now, listen, we're going to invest in our people. We're going to invest in our equipment so that our people have, have the right training and tools they need to do their job. And then we're going to hold a high standard and or, um, create a high standard and hold them accountable. And that was a, a wonderful thing for me as a young 
person because I, I knew something was wrong and I was afraid to articulate those things. And he just came right out and said it. And, and so he, he set Wolverine's culture on a path that can be very successful or put us on a path of success in the future. Uh, another character that, that I smile about is, is now retired, and that's Pete Chase. Um, Pete Chase, I used to, to kid, is, was dumb like a country fox. He was uh, he's a kid or a guy that was um, uh, high school educated, uh, went to business school and um, our local community college and got an associate's degree um, later on. Uh, but he ran our merchant operations group. And I both worked for him, and then ultimately he worked for me uh, throughout different parts of our career. And he was an incredible partner because... He had, an, he had this great instinct of, for business. And when, when he got itchy that there was a deal to be had, we, we learned to listen to that and to figure out why there was a good deal to be had. And when he was itchy that something was wrong, I tried to bring a mathematical modeling perspective to that to say, why is this bugging him? And we'd stay at it working together and, until we figured it out. And we were able to do a lot of things together that we had no idea uh, going in, how we would solve it, but we knew working together we could solve it, and and he was just a really good business partner. We we um, we approached things very differently with different uh, backgrounds and perspectives, but there was always a mutual trust that somehow we could figure this out. So he retired a couple of years ago, well earned, and um, he's left a permanent mark on on Wolverine in terms of our ability to participate in the in the complicated markets that we do today. So, I mean, obviously the people we work with have such a big impact on our experience and the organizations we're a part of, but what are some of your most memorable moments at Wolverine over your history? Well, I guess there's, uh, there's a lot of them, some of which I don't dare share on, on a podcast like this because they're <laughs> extremely memorable but a little uncomfortable. Um, there are some really important dates in our past. Um, the... The day that we bought out of the uh, federal lending program, which is the Rural Utility Services, uh, it's the legacy of the program, the old REA, that started rural electrification. But we needed to buy out of that program because the debt structure we had was just not sustainable for future growth. And so we had to, and, and I got to work with Tom Stevenson as we figured out a way to negotiate a buyout of that federal program. And the day we did is a very memorable day to me. And, um, and it was because it was really day zero in our future. And we had to take that really hard first step before we could start fixing other problems. In addition to that, there was uh, an important contract that followed that, which was a, a long-term power supply contract um, that was similarly hurting Wolverine, and, and the day that we renegotiated that contract, again, to put us on a, a footing to now have the flexibility and the opportunity to create um, new, um, new power supply portfolio for, for the Wolverine members. Um, and then I, I think uh, another memorable mo moment for me is the the first gas turbine that Wolverine purchased back in the year 2000, or actually it was about 1998, it was a used piece of equipment that we had found after a nationwide search. And it was the first turbine that uh, generate, piece of generating equipment that Wolverine had been able to install in almost, uh, at that time, almost 30 years. And even though it was used, 
um, and a little bit tired. It was an important cultural step for Wolverine to prove to ourselves and prove to our board and our members that we could do something creative with a lot of hustle and figure it out in a way that brought value to them. And it was sort of the first step for us in the generation renaissance that we've enjoyed over the last 15 years. Where did you find that piece of equipment? You didn't find that in the United States, did you? Yeah, that first one was actually out in Massachusetts okay. in an old industrial part of Massachusetts. So it was very difficult to get it out of that point, and we put it in. Uh, we actually installed that in a little town of Vesterberg, which is not too far from Elma, Michigan. Uh, on the heels of that, then we, we continued our worldwide search, and we purchased, following that, we purchased four uh, turbines that we found in Australia, and had to find a way to disassemble those, get them on a boat, move them into Michigan, and then install them in Michigan in a very short period of time. Um, and then we also uh, installed two brand new units um, in, in the Reed City area. So that was all in a period of about five years. And that took us through this last 15 year period when now we need to install additional generation and, and we're now moving forward with a project in near Gaylord, Michigan. Um, that will be a very significant world-class project um, that our members will will own. From the intern to the CEO, how has the industry changed over that career span? You know, the I think the the speed and the complexity of our business is significantly different today than it was um, almost 30 years ago when I started. Uh, the legal complexity of our business, the regulatory complexity of our business, and the, the transactional complexity of our business is so different. Um, you used to, have, used to have one or two or maybe three contracts. You'd settle up at the end of the month, and things were pretty sleepy in our business from a power supply standpoint. Uh, it's much, much different now. We participate in in multi-state regional markets, actually two different markets. We have a 24-hour presence. We have a number of complicated strategies, pricing models, risk management procedures, um, just to manage the power supply side of our business. We have complicated generation assets in a much more complicated world of environmental rules and regulation, uh, reliability standards that are, are federally mandated now that uh, we're uh, used to be simply on a best efforts basis. So the industry is so much more complicated today than it was 30 years ago, and it requires a lot more tenacious uh, and uh, sort of problem-solving mindset than it did 30 years ago. So speaking of that mindset, then how has the workforce that you need to meet those challenges changed? Like if you were to say the changes you can see between the workforce when you started and the workforce today at Wolverine. Well, I'll say to the millennials out there, uh, you're exactly the type of, of uh, employee that we need in our future that can shift gears quickly, that can understand things from multiple different perspectives, that are comfortable in, in uh, various multimedia environments. And, and our industry is, is not boring. It is a fascinating industry, and we need that type of of um, mindset going forward, uh, a much more nimble and, and uh, agile brain to continue to, to be successful in this business. Um, the gap is, is the experience gap, and there's, there's a tremendous amount of 
what I refer to as tribal knowledge in our business, in, uh, information that is garnered over an entire career and then typically sort of clumsily and unofficially handed down through the generations. And, and we need to do, we need to work much more diligently and much harder than we have in the past as how do we transfer that knowledge to younger employees that have the new skill sets to, to continue to succeed in a really essential business in our economy. How are you doing attracting uh, new employees at Wolverine? How's creating this new workforce going? I have shifted my number one priority, which had been for years and years, one way or the other, focused on long-term power supply. I probably spent 20 years with that focus in my career. My number one focus today is in leadership development. How do I get the next generation of leader ready to go at Wolverine? To pre- and how do I get them prepared to, to be successful in the future? It's, it's taken us 30 years to get a company in the position we have at Wolverine, and it can just take a, a few short months to undo all that. And I, I don't want to see that happen. Our members don't want to see that happen. And so my number one priority now is on, on leadership development and, and mentoring to get that next generation of leader ready to go. So what's, what's your vision for Wolverine's future? Well, I have to guard my answer because I don't want to give away all our secrets. <laughs> you know, we have, we have, um, we've gone from how do we survive to how do we create value? And now we're shooting way past that from a vision standpoint, which is now thinking 10, 15 years down the road, what, what constitutes value for Cherryland's customers and how does Wolverine deliver a product to Cherryland that is that adds value to Cherryland. And I think it will be much different than the business today. It's how do we, how do we support one another in communications? How do we provide an extremely reliable product? How do we provide alternative products like different forms of renewable energy, um, different types of business structures? And I, I think the future will be very interesting to watch unfold. The idea that we just provide reliable service isn't good enough anymore. People expect reliable service. When the co-op started, they were thrilled. They were thrilled to have electricity, and if they had an outage for a day or two, they were still thrilled because those customers were remember what it was like to quote when the lights came on. Now everyone expects electricity to be there 24 hours a day, and so delivering on the expectation isn't good enough anymore. We have to find alternative ways to add value. Cherryland works really hard on that, and Wolverine is doing the same thing for its distribution member owners. How do we continue to add value for Cherryland Electric? Well, before we get to the co-op fun facts that we like to do at the end of the show, I just I, I have to say thank you so much for coming. And the thing I really love about your story is it's inspiring to me in that it re- reiterates to me the importance of taking initiative and showing determination and understanding that sometimes we have to respond to challenges and be patient and take those hard first steps. Um, And more importantly, we need to be ready and willing to plan for the future, whether that be power supply or leadership development, hire good people, mentor them, and hopefully 75 years from now, someone will be sitting around a much more sophisticated podcast room (laughs) talking about how successful Cherryland and Wolverine Power Cooperative continue to be. So now we're going to do co-op fun facts. Tony, kick us off. Co-op trivia. Um, the RUS program was born in the mid-1930s at, 
in that at that time when Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed that order, nine out of ten rural homes did not have electricity. Eric? I would say that, uh, fun trivia fact, uh, Wolverine has the same number of employees it had uh, almost 30 years ago, uh, although we now serve almost double the number of customers and almost five times the amount of electric demand that we served back then, almost the same number of employees. That's awesome. So since Eric came to tell his story, I thought I would, I just discovered an interesting part of my own story. The first co-op pole ever electric, or ever erected under the Rural Electrification Act was in November of 1935 in Piqua, Ohio, and I grew up right outside of Piqua, Ohio. Oh, there you go. So who knew? <laughs> Co-ops in the family. There you go.